morning to Daniel chapter 9 once again. Daniel chapter 9. Did you notice anything different when you drove in this morning? (laughs) Parking lot looks good, doesn't it? Praise God for that. That is way, way overdue. It looks a lot better than I ever thought it was going to come out. So I was very, very pleased. Praise God. Let's ask God's help once again as we open up his word and see what he has for us in this ninth chapter of Daniel. Father, thank you so much for the privilege and opportunity to preach your word. Father, thank you again for your people who have gathered to hear your word. And Father, we pray that you would work your will through it, accomplish what you want because of it. Help us to learn, to change, to repent, to see Christ in all of this, in this beautiful beautiful chapter and verse. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we go back to, again, as we've been looking at the last three weeks, uh, again, one of the most difficult passages in all the Old Testament, uh, definitely one of the most debated, for sure, as different people come to different conclusions. Last week, we looked at verses 25 and 26 in particular of Daniel chapter 9, And what we saw is that the angel Gabriel is revealing a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah to Daniel. This prophecy, as you know by now, is known as Daniel's 70 weeks. The last two weeks, we've been digging deep into these verses to understand their meaning. We saw in the first week that the entire 70 weeks of prophecy that Daniel has given is to prepare God's people for an ultimate year of jubilee. The year of Jubilee in Israel was to happen in Israel every 50 years. And it was the year that all Jewish slaves were freed. All debts were canceled. And all property returned to its original owner. The year of Jubilee had great spiritual significance as it was to prepare God's people for His promises of a coming messianic age and where these things happens not just physically but also spiritually as well. And, of course, in the Messianic age, the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in. The 70 weeks, as we've said, are not to be taken literal. As you can see, this is not just 70 weeks long, but 70 groups of years, 70 sevens, as we said. They're symbolic of a great period of time, roughly about 500 years or so, 490. And there's no debate about that. No one takes as literally as days or actual weeks, but years And Daniel receives this prophecy in this 77s, and he is told that it's broken down in three different ways. If you remember, the first seven of the 70 is when the temple would be rebuilt. That's 49 years, seven times seven. This next 62 weeks, the second set of sevens, would be a troubled time in Israel as they continue to rebuild the land. And It was certainly a troubled time. Israel was under oppression from the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. And so we come now in this sermon to the last week, the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. So far, we've covered the first 69, right? Building of the temple and then rebuilding the temple through a troubled time. But the 70th week has yet to happen in this passage 
We began last week talking about that. And we see that in this passage, it says that after 69 weeks, something significant was to happen. What is that? An anointed one shall be cut off. This is speaking of the Messiah being killed. And we said last week that my belief and view of this passage is that the 70th week happens immediately after the 69th week. Many take this to be a gap of time in between that, and there's great debate about that. But my conclusion is that the 70th week began when the 69 weeks were over. There is no gap of time. There is no pause during that time. And at the end of verse 26, we saw last week that we see something else significant happen of historical uh, significance, which describes what happened exactly in the year 70 A.D., Gabriel tells Daniel that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed again. And this happens, of course, after Messiah is cut off. And that happened in the year 70 as the Roman Emperor Titus destroyed Jerusalem, squashing a Jewish revolt with his Roman army. He then desecrated the temple by offering a pig up on the altar of God. Tragic, tragic time. If you missed any of the last two sermons, I strongly urge you to go back to our website and listen to it again, as I've just given a very brief and quick summary. But now we come to the final verse of Daniel 9, verse 27. And it is here that is where most of the debate and controversy ensues. And why? Why do we have this debate? Well, here's what this debate is all about. Is Daniel 70 weeks about the time up to and including the first coming of Jesus? Or is Daniel 70 weeks about the first coming of Jesus up until a future end times prophecy at the end of the world? As I've already discussed and broken down, I believe the context of this chapter drives home that this is about the first coming of Jesus and what he would usher in with this year of Jubilee. Remember, the context here tells us how to interpret this. Daniel's prayer at the beginning of this chapter was about what? God, we want to go back home. We've served 70 years in Babylon. Help us to go back home and rebuild the temple. We become a joke out here. Do it for your namesake, God. And God answers Daniel's prayer by saying what? Yep, that's going to happen. But only for a season. This is what this 70 weeks is all about. Daniel, going back to rebuild the city and the temple is not forever. Because why? As we saw last week, the temple will be destroyed again. Messiah would have arrived making the temple obsolete. That's the point. That's the whole point of Daniel's 70-week prophecy. It's to point us to a coming Messiah so that Daniel can understand that the end goal is not the temple. The end goal is about what the coming Messiah would do, which is why Daniel 70 weeks ends with the destruction of that temple once and for all. The temple is not the point. The lamb sacrificed in the temple is not the point. Christ is the point. And this is why we see that the temple, as with all Old Testament things, are just a shadow they're a shadow of a greater thing. Once the substance of the shadow comes, we no longer need the shadow. 
we have the substance, Christ. When Christ comes, there's no longer a need for all the things that foreshadowed him. Because now we have him, and we don't need any illustrations besides that. So, that's a lot in that introduction. Now let's get to verse 27. Let's break down verse 27. Let's read it together. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. You all understand that? All right. This verse, in order to understand it, pushes us to examine key questions. We're going to come to a right interpretation. We're going to have to answer some key questions in the light of the context of the chapter. Here's the four questions I've identified. One, who is the he? Two, who does the he make a covenant with? Three, when is this week? This is week 70 of the 70. And number four, what end to sacrifices and offerings are we talking about here that happens in the middle of the week? Those are the four key questions. We answer those, we can be on the right road to coming to an interpretation of what this all means. And I have many good friends. And some of you in this room, I know for sure, that share the opposite view of what I'm about to teach. I pray that just for the next few minutes, that you take your presuppositions aside and let's examine the text for what it says. So in order to understand these questions, we have to understand what this is all about. I mentioned last week that those with a dispensational understanding see that 69 of the 70 weeks happened leading up to the cross. And then when Jesus died and resurrected, God hit pause on the 70 weeks of prophecy so that the 70th week is still to come at the end of the world. This is what those with a dispensational mindset, I know some of you believe this and that's okay. We're still good friends and I love you. (laughs) Um, That God hit pause after week 69 and so for the last 2,000 years or so, we've been on pause and the 70th week is still to come. So therefore, those who believe that would answer the questions I have raised in this way. Who is the he of verse 27? Those with a dispensational view would say that, this, that it's about a future world leader that we call the Antichrist. Who does the Antichrist make a covenant with? This view would say it's with Israel and he allows them to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And the covenant is some sort of peace treaty to allow the Jews to do that. When is this week and who, and that he makes his covenant with? This view says, in the future, at the end of the world, this covenant ushers in a seven-year tribulation that leads to the return of Jesus. And what end to sacrifices and offerings are we talking about? This view sees that this means that this Antichrist will put an end to offerings and sacrifices in the temple by committing the abomination of desolation, which then breaks the peace treaty and begins a massive persecution in the second half of the seven-year tribulation. Now, the only way to come to that view is 
and I know because I once held that view, is that you have to see a gap in between weeks 69 and 70. If this is true, then God has hit pause for the last 2,000 years waiting for that 70th week to arrive. But as I've already told you, that's not what I believe. So let's look at verses 26 and 27 for context so we can better understand what this means. All right? What this means. And this is a very complicated passage. It's hours and hours of study on this passage over the last few months I've been doing. I'm trying to make it and break it down so that we all understand it. Let's read 26 and 27. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. Also to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So how would I answer those questions? I've already told you how those with a dispensational understanding understand that, those questions. Now, let me tell you where I'm going and teach through it. Number one, who is the he? And here's the key. If you don't know who the he is, none of the other stuff will make sense. I believe the he of verse 27 is the same person that is spoken of in the previous verse, in verse 26. Look at verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Pronouns matter. Not for the silly reasons the world says they do. But it helps us drive the context. Who is the he? Who is, does this pronoun refer to? I think it refers back to the previous verse of the anointed one. Last week we said the anointed one is the word for Messiah in Hebrew. This anointed one spoken of in verse 26 we said last week is Jesus. Verse 26 speaks of the death of Jesus. That's what it means to be cut off. The Hebrew way of saying dead. And this is what the entire 70 weeks is about. It's all pointing to the arrival of the Messiah. So when does this happen? Look what it says. After the 62 weeks. Now remember, Daniel's already talked about 7. 7 plus 62 is 69. And I know you're really good at math. What comes after 69? 70. It says here, after the 62 weeks, or after 69 weeks, an anointed one is cut off. So the he, I believe in verse 27, is not, as some mistake it to be, a future antichrist, but the Christ. It is about Jesus, which is where I believe if you get the he wrong, you get the rest of it wrong. But let's continue so I can show you why I believe that to be true. Again, in verse 26, it says, All this happens in the 70th week. And so does verse 27. My dispensational friends would see verse 26 happening, and then a gap, and then verse 27. But no, I'm saying that verse 26 
and verse 27 both describe the 70th week. There is no gap or pause that's mentioned here. They are both, a re, verse 27 is a redescription of the events of verse 26. All right, Dan, you're going to have to show me why you believe this is about Jesus and not a future Antichrist. Well, look at what the he does. Look at what the he does. And he, verse 27, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings. So if this is about Jesus and not some future Antichrist, then we will have to make we will have to show that Christ did indeed make a covenant with many people during the 70th week. Did Jesus do that? Absolutely. In fact, the covenant he makes is in connection with what happens to him in verse 26. What happens to him? He is cut off. So did Jesus make a covenant with his death? He most certainly did. Remember what his disciples as remember what Jesus told his disciples as they observed the last supper together. This drink and eat this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This covenant that Jesus describes for his disciples happened when he died on the cross and resurrected from the dead. He fulfilled the covenant that God the Father had determined before time began to save a people for himself and to send the Son to save those people. He had made a covenant to give the Son a bride. And he did. And he purchased his bride by his death on the cross. His bride is, of course, all believers who put their faith and trust in him. And this is what the scriptures refer to as the new covenant. The new covenant. Therefore, I don't believe that he is a future antichrist that makes peace with Israel, but he is, the, in fact, the Messiah who ratified the new covenant during the last week of, uh, of the 70 by his death and resurrection. The new covenant is something Daniel would have been very, very familiar with. The new covenant was the theme of the other two prophets that prophesied at the same time as Daniel, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. This is a theme that God has for his exiles out in captivity. He tells Jeremiah about the new covenant. He tells Ezekiel about the new covenant. That all of this will one day end in good news. All this leads to the promised one finally coming. Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy is Daniel's revelation of this prophecy coming to fruition. That the Messiah will come after 69 weeks. He will die. And in that last week, he establishes a covenant with many people. Gabriel is telling Daniel when this happens. That the covenant will be ratified when Messiah is cut off. That is the context of verse 27. It's verse 26. And then that ushers in the grandest jubilee of jubilees ever. Ever. As Messiah has come and finished what he was to do. Look at Jeremiah 31. 31 through 34. Here's where Jeremiah again 
At the same time that Daniel is receiving this message, Jeremiah is in Judah. Well, this would be at the end of Daniel's life, so this would have already happened for Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied while Daniel was in captivity. But Jeremiah gets the promise of a new covenant from God that my people will not stay in captivity forever. They will be saved. Their Messiah is coming. And it's going to be unlike the old covenant. Remember, the old covenant was what? Here's my law. Do this and live. If you don't do it, you die. The new covenant is different. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant that is done for us. The old covenant was to show us that there's a lot that God requires and we can do it. But the new covenant shows us God has done it for us by the death of his son. Look at Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Another name for the new covenant is the gospel. It's what God accomplished through the Messiah being cut off in the 70th week. It's the covenant that God established that what I have required for you to do in the old covenant, I am no longer requiring you in the new covenant because Messiah comes and does it for you. The wages of sin is death. Well, Messiah dies, and he has now given life to all who believe. That's good news, friends. Look at Ezekiel's new covenant in Ezekiel 36. Talking about the same covenant, same period. Ezekiel prophesied during the beginning of the captivity. Ezekiel 36. Here's God's good news to his people about a future coming covenant. God says to Ezekiel, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and all from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Again, same time period, God gives Ezekiel a promise of a new covenant, Jeremiah the promise of a new covenant, and he gives to Daniel that this new covenant that Ezekiel and Jeremiah are prophesying about happens, Daniel, I'm giving you the time frame, in the 70th week, the 70th, the end of all that, that leads to the coming of the Messiah and the accomplishment of the Messiah. So who is the he? The he is Jesus. Who does he make a covenant with? His people. He came to his own people and his own people received him not. 
God has then grafted Gentiles in who believe and have the same faith as Abraham and the same faith in this Messiah Jesus and brings them into the new covenant of God. Daniel is getting the time frame of when this happens, when Messiah is cut off, according to verse 26. The next question is, when is this week that he makes with a covenant for many? Well, we've already said what Gabriel is saying to Daniel all this points to Messiah. 70 years in Babylon, 70 weeks of seven. It's all about the Messiah coming. He makes a covenant with the many. So what it says. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Actually, the Hebrew word doesn't include the word for. It's just said he will make a strong covenant with many for one week. Or with many one week. Another word you could either is during. Is, is another preposition. Most translations choose the word for, although it's not in the original. And for half of the week, it should put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Because that's the next question we have to ask. Because when this he makes a covenant, what happens then? Sacrifices and offerings are over. Sacrifices and offerings are over. They're no more. So what are we saying? Since the he is Jesus and the new covenant is the gospel, then this can't be about a future antichrist that makes a peace treaty for seven years with Israel and desecrates the temple halfway in. Since it's about Jesus, what Gabriel is saying is that when the new covenant is ratified, when Messiah is cut off, there won't be a need for another temple. There won't be any more need for future sacrifices. Or offerings that you must make in Jerusalem. Why? Because the days of the new covenant have arrived. And these are different days. The days of the old covenant needed a temple. Needed a priest. Needed a lamb. Needed Yom Kippur. They needed to be continual sacrifices. Daily sacrifices needed. But the new covenant is so much better Because in the new covenant, you don't need these things every day or once a year. You don't need a physical location to go to, to have your sins forgiven. Why? All of that is found in Messiah Jesus. And when he is cut off, there's an end to sacrifices and offerings. What is Gabriel telling Daniel? For now, Messiah hasn't come. For now, you still need the shadows. You still need the the sacrifices. You still need the offerings. You still need the temple. God's sending you back to build it. But when he comes, when this anointed one is cut off, God says, the old covenant has been fulfilled and the new covenant is now in Christ. And this is what the book of Hebrews is all about. Christ is better. The new covenant is better than the old. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 11 tells us what Christ did by being cut off and ending the sacrifices in the temple. In verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, 
but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is better, friends. Jesus' death ends once and for all the ever need the ever-increasing need to have a sacrifice for you to go to Jerusalem to plead your sins to a priest and have him kill and the blood of an animal to atone for you. So by the death of Jesus, as far as God is concerned, the temple, the shadow, is over because the substance of those shadow has come The old has been fulfilled. The new is here. He did come in the 70th week. He was cut off. And this is the covenant he makes, which ends all sacrifices and offerings going forward. Again, I believe that has to be about Christ. But what happens in the middle of this week? Because this is very interesting. Why does it say in the middle of the week the sacrifices will end? Well, I believe this gives us more of a timetable of what happened in the 70th week. If, the sacrif- if Jesus' death happens in the middle of the 70th week, and the sac- that's when the sacrifices are over, it's my belief that when did the 70th week begin then? The 70th week began, I believe, with the public ministry of Jesus with his baptism, with his announcing the kingdom of God was here. This is the point of all that, ushering in the year of the Jubilee. He's here to preach the year of the Lord's favor, he says in the synagogue. What's the year of the Lord's favor? Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, the 70th week, begins with, I believe, the public ministry of Jesus. Now, what is half of seven? What is half of seven? Three and a half. How long was Jesus' ministry? It was about three and a half years. Three to three and a half years. In the middle of that week, he is cut off. Just like Daniel's prophecy says. And there's no more sacrifices in the second half of that last week, the 70th week. So you're saying, but Dan, the sacrifice has still continued even after Jesus died. Yes. In fact, they continued until the year 70 AD. They continued physically in the temple because the Jews didn't believe who Jesus was. But as far as the requirements of a holy God, it was no longer necessary. As this New Testament tells us again and again. So when does the 70th week end. Well, again, I think we go again to the context of the passage, because I think it tells us when the 70th week ends. The sacrifices continued until the year 70 AD. Why? Because something happened in the year 70 AD that was massively significant. 
The second half of verse 27 says what? And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Again, this is just a redescription of the previous verse. Verse 27 doesn't happen after verse 26. It happens at the same time as verse 26. It's just a redescription of those events. What happens at the end of verse 26? Look at it with me. At the end of verse 26, after 62 weeks, anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. To the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So, at the end of Jesus' life, he dies in the year approximately 30 A.D., 29, 30 A.D. He then, what happens after that? Forty years goes by and the Romans destroy Jerusalem and the temple. That's what we said. That's who the, the prince who shall come. History proves that. Verse, the end of verse 27, on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. That's the same thing that happens in verse 26 when there's this flood of war coming and desolations are decreed and the prince of the people come to destroy it. Who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That's what happened. The Romans destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem, as Jesus warned them about in Matthew 24. Jesus says, when these things start happening, head to the hills. Don't even go back and get your cloak. Don't even turn around and get your bag. Just run. Nursing mothers, pray this doesn't happen in winter on the Sabbath. Run. Jesus is warning them of these events and even references as Daniel the prophet said about the abomination of desolation. What is the 70th week? Well, 70th week in my perspective, all is about the coming of Christ and he came. He came and instituted his public ministry announcing the kingdom of God at his baptism. And the 70th week, I believe, ends in the year 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem as this prophecy ends. How does the prophecy end? With the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. Now there's some who believe we're still in the 70th week. I'm not going to argue with that. The 70th week was the public ministry of Jesus and the church age is the second half. I'm not going to argue with that. There's some points to be made there that could be valid. But I see in the context that it has to end with the year 70 as the prophecy says with the destruction of the temple. So, again, how do we come to this right conclusion? How do we know that God doesn't want us tearing apart the newspaper every day to see end times events in correlation Romans 9? Or Daniel 9. I'm used to saying Romans 9 too. Uh, Daniel 9. What is the purpose? We go back. What is the purpose of this whole prophecy? Look at verse 24. In verse 24... Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression. Here's the purpose. To put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place or holy one, as it says in the original. The whole purpose of Daniel's 70 weeks 
is to prepare the people for the coming Messiah, what the Messiah would do, and the grand, glorious jubilee that the Messiah would usher in. Daniel's prayer has been answered in a most unusual way. God, send us home. Give us our temple back. God says, sure, it'll happen. However, it's going to be gone again. It's only temporary, Daniel, because something, or rather someone, greater than the temple is coming. And when he comes, he will usher in this new covenant, and all the shadows and requirements of the old will be satisfied. Therefore, when he comes, you no longer need to crave or to anticipate or look forward to a coming temple. Because he is the temple of God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the high priest of God. All those things that the temple represented are now fulfilled in Christ. And when you have him, why would you desire those things that just pointed towards him? Yeah, most unusual. Daniel probably didn't expect that. Give us our prayer temple. Yes, it's going to be destroyed again. You don't need it. You will no longer need it, Daniel. And that, my friends, is Daniel's 70 weeks. A very profound passage of Scripture that I believe is all about Christ and the events that happened at his first coming until the temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD. What do you do with this? What should you do with what you just heard? Christian, rejoice. Rejoice that God keeps his word. Rejoice that Messiah has come. Rejoice that he has fulfilled the new covenant so that you could put your faith and trust in him, be forgiven of your sins, and be adopted as one of his own. That's what you can do with this prophecy. God keeps his word. God kept his word about the first coming of Jesus. Oh, and he's coming again. Did you know that? He will keep his word about the second coming of Jesus. And although I believe in the second coming of Jesus, he is coming again. And hopefully today, please, Lord, let it be today. There's other passages that deal with that. This is just not one of those. Let's pray. Oh God, help us bring great clarity as we explore the riches of this passage. As we, as some may feel like they've just drank from a fire hydrant, God, help us to absorb and drink in your word. Help us to parse aside the, the meanings of each word and the context of the greater things that lead us to the point of what the Holy Spirit wants us to get to anyway, that, that this is about Christ. Thank you, God, that we don't have or need a temple to go to to be forgiven of our sins. We don't need to have a high priest intercede for us on this earth. We have one in heaven that is sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, ruling and reigning until all his enemies are made his footstool. 
who lives to make intercession for us, who is our great advocate, who has indeed ratified that new covenant by his death and resurrection and is coming again to take his people home. Oh God, keep us waiting for this coming Messiah, for he is coming again gloriously, victoriously in battle, in honor, in glory. And Lord, help us to lead other people to the truth that King Jesus keeps his word and that sinners must repent of their sins and put their faith in him to be saved. This is what this new covenant is all about. Keep us focused on Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.